Hey, San Diego. Welcome to the Name Drop San Diego podcast. I'm Abby Hamblin, and I'll be your host along with Christy Totten. As many of you know, San Diego celebrates Pride in July, and we've got the executive director of San Diego Pride, Fernando Lopez, on the show today. They moved to San Diego in 1999 as a homeless young person and ultimately became a LGBT community leader here. Before Pride, they worked at advocacy organizations such as Equality California and Marriage Equality USA. And Fernando has brought many new initiatives to Pride, including the Pride Youth Leadership Academy and expanding voter outreach. We want to mention that Fernando is also on the Community Advisory Board for the San Diego Union Tribune. We talked to them just a few days before Pride was set to begin. Here's our interview with Fernando Lopez. So thank you so much for spending time with us in the final days leading up to Pride in San Diego. We know you're very busy, but we just wanted to ask how everything is going with that. No, thank you so much for having me. Uh, you know, it's going great. It's definitely an interesting year to be organizing Pride in this very different way. So I'm just really proud of the volunteers and the team and the staff who's pulling it all together in the last few days. Yeah. Is there anything particularly exciting happening um, this Pride? I mean, we're back in person. That's cool. But what else stands out to you? Yeah, we're back in person. It's so different. Uh, I think folks are obviously used to the quarter million plus person parade and that 55,000 person plus festival over two days. And instead of doing that, we're doing over 30. I think now we're almost to 40 events um, over 30 days. And most of those events are happening Pride weekend uh, on July 17th. Awesome. So obviously uh, you are a leader in this community, but we wanted to ask, what does pride personally mean to you? What is pride? Pride to me, I guess, personally means a lot of things. Pride for me is an opportunity to find connection and find family. Uh, I think for me as a young person growing up, you know, I had very different time. Um, there wasn't a lot of sort of the LGBT nonprofits, organizations, media coverage, visibility on TV and movies. Like we didn't have that when I was growing up. And so it's an opportunity to be seen and to find that connection that you maybe don't have in your day-to-day -day life uh, with your family, faculty in school, um, in your coworkers, you know, in your work situation or in your institutions of faith. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's that, it's the finding of that network of support that you don't always have. What was your first pride and what do you remember about it? First pride, I, what was my first pride? The first pride was, um, I, I saw it from a distance, um, on accident when I was in New York. That was, no, um, <laughs> that was my first, technically, no. Um, so you know, my very, very first real, I guess like real pride that I experienced fully was just a few weeks after um, I had been homeless and I, I knew that pride was a thing that happened. Um, I didn't know exactly what that meant. I didn't know what it was. You know, the internet was still a new-ish thing back then and we didn't exactly have the best coverage in media um, at the time. So I knew it was in Hillcrest. I, I knew sort of what weekend it was, and I didn't really know the schedule or anything. And I, um, I went, 
and I just sort of drove around Hillcrest and I saw this gathering of folks at the intersection of Center Street and what used to be called Blaine, but is now Harvey Milk Street. Um, and so I, I pulled over, I, I parked and I went over to this gathering of folks and it was the first time I heard the words lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender spoken out loud uh, as, a, as a good thing or instead of behind a whispered hand. And, um, and there was this talk about identity and empowerment. And I was just like so energized by seeing these people who were so proud of who they were that I stayed and like I waited until every last person had left uh, because I just wanted to like feel that energy of being so uplifted and supported. And, um, and as, I, as I was leaving, I was walking and there was this person who was walking alongside next to me. And I sort of looked over and they like looked at me and they reached their arms out and I freaked out because then I in that moment I realized it was Margaret Cho and what? I was a huge <laughs> Margaret Cho fan and she had been a speaker awesome. at the rally and she was like you know do you want to hug and I was like yes and then and, and then she said, do you have something for me to sign I was like no and then I did I had like my book bag and she signed my diary and I still have it in my cabinet and um, you know, she was always an icon for me and a, a brilliant, like, queer uh, activist and comedian. And, like, she's always been an inspiration to me. So, like, that I had that lucky accident. But so that was the very first Spirit of Stonewall rally that I ever went to was the year uh, 2000. And yeah, it was the year 2000. And, uh, yeah, I haven't missed a Spirit of Stonewall rally since. <laughs> That is so cool. What a what a great story. I mean, could you, you know, who you were then? Could you at the time um, sort of picture or believe, you know, where you are now leading up the whole thing? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, <laughs> absolutely not. I, you know, I, I came from a small town. I came from El Centro um, and rural community, very homophobic, uh, lots of bullying, discrimination, harassment growing up. Um, from you know, faculty and administrators and family and faith and friends and et cetera. And so when I found myself homeless, I think, um, you know, you don't really see a future for yourself, right? You don't, you don't, you're not like planning for the next thing. You don't see what that can be. And um, so, no, I absolutely could not see this. And, and I'm a huge nerd. So I thought like I went to school for uh, computer graphics. Like I thought I was going to make special effects for Star Wars films. Like that was my big plan. Um, and obviously I went in a different direction. So no, I, I absolutely didn't think that this was going to be my path. It, I very much sort of stumbled into this work in as I tried to just live my life and as I tried to find employment and uh, go to school and get married and have children, um, recognizing the different legal challenges and administrative obstacles that you face being a queer person in the early 2000s, um, it's like, well, this is not equal. Like we're not like this, this promise of the United States that we're supposed to be you know, equal under the law, like that's not my experience so how can I change that? And so I started volunteering and slowly but surely like volunteering for these different organizations and educating myself uh, online and 
constitutional law and gender equity and employment non-discrimination and insurance non-discrimination uh, and being my own advocate is like how I eventually kept getting asked by these different organizations to do more and do more and eventually ended up working for Marriage Equality USA and Equality California. And then 10 years ago was asked to come and work here at San Diego Pride. So yeah, that wasn't the plan. <laughs> So you do do a lot of things as executive director of Pride here, but what? Is, how do you view the kind of overarching arching goal or what do you personally bring to the position? Ooh, um, what's the over, I mean, the overarching goal, I think, is what our vision statement is, which is a world free of prejudice and bias. And, and I think it's interesting that San Diego Pride's vision statement doesn't say a world free of prejudice and bias for only LGBTQ people. It is a world free of prejudice and bias. And so much of the work that we have to do must be intersectional in that. And I think in doing social justice work, if you really start peeling away the layers and looking at the commonalities of what are Dis seemingly disparate struggles are, a lot of it really boils down to white supremacy and white supremacist notions of societal norms and expectations. And so um, whether that's through gender roles and pa patriarchal like constructs and um, or just, yeah, the way that we need to operate in society and, and um, oppress marginalized community members, like I think so many of our communities and activists recognize those common threads of combating white supremacy. And, and so, you know, what do I bring personally to that? I think is I'm a first generation US citizen. I'm uh, Jewish, I'm uh, Mexican American. My, my family on both sides of my family, my, my father is a Mexican American Vietnam War veteran immigrant who like he and his entire generation and the generation before came to this country from Mexico and worked in the fields. And so uh, I have that sort of understanding of that cultural heritage and upbringing to be an immigrant, to be Latino, to be a, a field worker and working class. Um, and then on the other side of my family, I have a uh, Jewish mother, child of immigrants, again, from Russia and Austria, respectively, who came to this country to escape persecution and death. And so like really the compounding of their identities and experiences is then in me um, as a queer non-binary Latinx Jewish, you know, first generation US citizen, former homeless youth rape survivor, um, you know, and I have a brother who is blind, deaf, quadriplegic and, and developmentally disabled. Like, so there's, you know, I feel like my personal lived experience, I have so much just personal connection to these disparate things or these things that seem disparate, but they converge in my life. And so how could I not bring that lens to this work? And so what is the work? And the work is all of it, right? LGBTQ folks are everything. We are every age, every gender, every religion, every, from every nationality, every part of the world. And so our experiences are not part of a monolith, but the spectrum of human experience. And so how can we authentically honor that and challenge the systems that not only oppress the LGBT community, but oppress all marginalized communities? What have been, you know, some challenges in bringing forth that goal of, you know, eliminating bias, eliminating prejudice? Like, what are the biggest things standing in the way of making that happen? 
capitalism. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, capitalism and its and white supremacy are probably their you know their own biggest beasts. And how do we how do we identify these structures that are that are in place, knowing that we inherited them? Like, right, if you're alive right now, we inherited these systems. And how do you own your piece of that and challenge it, and and still not? Um, relinquish your own safety, health, and well-being, right? Like if you're going to challenge an employer because they're racist, are you potentially losing your job? Is that damaging your career? And right, you're taking a risk. And, and you sort of look at what has just occurred with the Me Too movement, right? Like so many people of all genders coming out um, that hadn't spoken out before because they were terrified of losing, um, you know, their career, what impact that could have. So, you know, that is, those are capitalist structures. Those are white supremacist structures and patriarchal structures. So how do we combat that? And I think that the other hardest hard part about that too is, um, I think, an interpersonal forgiveness. And and I say that meaning, like, let, let's take me personally, for example, homeless, homeless kid, right? My family, like 40% of homeless youth are LGBT identified because their parents discard them like garbage. Well, how do you begin to repair that? How do you reconnect children with parents and family members um, and how does that like how does that severance like separate LGBTQ folks from generational wealth, educational upbringing? Um, how does that impact the rest of their careers? And how like and how is that like responsibility then placed on the oppressed queer person who's discarded to then be the one to say, let me forgive you. Like let me educate you on how you have harmed me and how what you are saying is damaging not only to me but to other LGBTQ folks. And so that labor then is on the queer person. And I say that very personally, right? Like my father is now one of my best friends in the world, like fiercest advocates, love him. Like he volunteers for pride every year. Obviously 20 some years ago, that was not my experience. So 20 years of fighting and challenges and arguments led to this healthy understanding. And in there had to be some interpersonal forgiveness of what my father and our family did to me about the words maybe that I weaponized back towards my family and understanding again that they inherited those beliefs, right? Like those beliefs were taught to them and they were echoing them from, from the generations before. And it takes time to get to that place. It takes, you have to be in a healthier, stronger place. And that's not the easiest thing to get to. So I know I give you like some big answers, but that's, uh, that's been my experience. Well, that's amazing. I mean, what was the turning point with your dad? I mean, at some point he kicked you out of the house, right? And now your best friends, he or he he volunteers for Pride. So, so what was the turning point in your relationship with your dad? So, I think there there are a couple key turning points. One was there was a moment when I was like, you know what, I'm okay. Like, I I have a roof over my head, I have a husband, I have a job, I have money, like. Let me go back to my family and say, hey, I'm here and I want to be a part of this family. Whether you like that or not, you know, I'm here. And I will say it was, it was very much the younger generation. Like I'm the oldest uh, in my generation, my fellow Latinos out there. If you're like, you know, you know what that means if you're the oldest in your generation. So you got to take care of all your 35 cousins and like, you know, so they all love you and rely on you. So like my cousins, like my younger um, 
cousins, they were like very much advocating for me to be a part of the family. And so we, you know, I fought my family quite a bit. Well, you can come, but don't say that you're gay. Uh, well, you can come, but like, don't bring your friend. They met my husband. Oh, well, you can bring him, but like, don't call him your husband. Like I'm going to, you know? And, and so like, there were a lot of fights and arguments and, you know, you show up for every Thanksgiving and Christmas and quinceanera and funeral and wedding and like birthday party. And you just like help, like serve the mole, you know, and you help put, put out the chairs and like clean up and take care of the kids and like change the diapers. And like, you're an active participant. And over time, you know, even my abuela was like, my grandmother was like, oh, I see, like, I see you just as a full person that is a part of this family. So I think that was like a one, the major one or the first major one. The second major one was in 2010, um, I was leaving a bar with a friend of mine and, um, you know, we walked home together, but he lived like two streets this way and I lived two streets the other way. And so we parted ways and my father was staying at my house. We still had a lot of challenges. We still fought and, you know, sparred about this stuff. Um, but my dad was staying at my condo and my friend went home and I woke up to find out that he had been beaten up in a hate crime. And so I think my, like my father was there when I got the phone call and had to rush the emergency room. And so he just saw like that visceral reaction and he knew in that moment that it could have been me. It wasn't, it was my friend, but it could have been me. And I think that moment of recognizing that he could have lost his child in that moment, I think that was like, that was it. He figured it out. Okay, no, no amount of what I have learned to hate or fear gay people, LGBTQ people is worth whatever fighting I'm doing with my child. Like this is, this is my kid. Um, and the most important thing there is love and family um, and, and not fear. Uh, and I think that was probably the biggest uh, then milestone. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. I'm sure a lot of our listeners, you know, are going through similar things or have gone through similar things. And I know just sharing those stories, it's, it's hard, but it's, um, you know, it's helpful to many. So thanks for doing that here. Um, I, we know a lot of people know you in the community, um, but we want to try and get to know you in like a slightly different way with a lightning round, maybe oh. get to know some things people don't know about you. Sure. Go for it. Okay. <laughs> Awesome. Okay. What is your ideal day in San Diego? Oh man. Oh, that's so hard. Cause San Diego is like so perfect. Okay. Let me, um, uh, so I love running. So I would have to say like, I get up, maybe have a cup of coffee and I go running to the beautiful trails in Balboa park. Like that just, there's some amazing, you don't even feel like you're in a city. Um, and then, uh, gosh, I, after that, there's so much impeccable food here too. So like now I went, I went for a run, so I'm hungry. So I'm probably like up in Convoy District, like getting some just like, like amazing KBBQ or like maybe I'm up in like getting Jen barbecue. Um, yeah, it's food, food. I just love food. So <laughs> next. Um, and then uh, maybe just like hang out with my friends in someone's backyard and great conversation. And then my favorite, uh, 
bar slash restaurant, amazing chef there, Johnny, shout out. Um, and their owner, Paris, is inside out in Hillcrest, that big red building. Like that is an urban oasis. Like that. So I'm ending my night there with more friends and good conversation. That's, yeah, pro probably perfect San Diego day. Great answer. Um, well, what is something that you've streamed lately or just seen lately that you've really liked? Um, okay, uh, let's, let's, Luca, like so queer. If you haven't watched it, um, watch it. It is just like, so Luca, the new streaming Disney film um, is so queer. I don't care what they say. I don't care what Disney says. It is <laughs> I've seen awesome. a lot of people talking about this on Twitter. Yes, it is so queer coded. Watch it with that lens, go in, enjoy it. And then, um, yeah, hit me up on Twitter because like, I just, I'm <laughs> that. that was just amazing. Nice. Um, well, speaking of food, what is your go-to comfort food? Uh, chicken wings, um, right? Royal Thanks. Mandarin, like who in San Diego is not like eating Royal Mandarin salt and pepper chicken wings? The best. Not, like, where have you been? <laughs> <laughs> I totally and, like, agree. Just like uh, tsunami fries. Oh, nice. I feel like we need to do a whole food episode with you. It seems like you know all the good spots. Yeah, give us the tips. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just what, love food. Yeah, what there's so much good stuff here. So much good stuff. Um, what is some of the best advice that you've ever received? Ooh, um, two, one, two pieces of advice. One, keep doing it until it doesn't feel good, then don't do it anymore. Um, I think that was like a real, one of the most simple pieces of advice that like I apply to so much in my life, like whether it's a job or a friendship or a relationship or an exercise routine, like it's so applicable. Like if you love it, if you're, if you're enjoying it, do it. And the second you don't like, don't be afraid to listen to your mind, your heart, your body, and just say like, you know what, I'm out. And like, just give yourself the grace to say this was good. And now it's not. Um, the other is so you know, and being so disconnected from mentorship, uh, the very first person who really like reached out and said like, let me help you young queerling into this world. Um, her name is Aida Mancias, an incredible Latina artist, activist, Chicana, like um, lesbian, just, oh. So uh, she, she passed away in 2009, I think also from a brain tumor, but she said to me, we were talking in her backyard and having this challenging conversation about whether or not I was going to keep working for this organization that I was having issues with. And um, she said, you know, you, the thing is you want to change the world, but you can't. But what you can do is you can tend to your garden and you can teach others to do the same. And that's how you change the world. And I'll tell you, like, obviously that is stuck with me. And I try to live my life that way, that you know, sometimes you can only tend to your garden and that means yourself and your body and your home and your own personal health. And like, sometimes that means your friends and your family. And sometimes, you know, in the instance of San Diego Pride, right, we, we build up uh, leaderships, uh, leadership opportunities and it's intergenerational and it's regional and it's international. And like, we're funding people and organizations locally, nationally and around the world. And so like, throughout my life now here at Pride, I, there's these moments I get to where I think, you know, thank you, Aida, because I am tending to my garden and I am teaching others to do the same. Beautifully said. Well, speaking of gardening, you mentioned running. Do you have any other hobbies that, you know, you just like to spend your free time doing? <laughs> um, 
Uh, yes, running. I love running. Um, I play the piano. I sing. I draw. I play video games. I love sci-fi movies. And I do cook. I don't just eat. Like, I love to cook. So um, I love cooking for my friends. It's like zone out and just, you know, work on my knife skills and get some good like pozole going or whatever. Like, I don't know. Just I, I anything. I cook anything and everything. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Uh, you mentioned Luca, but are there other books or shows or movies uh, with queer representation that either re were really meaningful in your life or that you would recommend to others um, that you're just a big fan of? Oh, you know, okay. So like a good start, a good start, foundational start is anything by Vito Russo, like read Celluloid Closet, um, watch the documentary, um, the just really good sort of analysis of film through this queer sociological lens. Um, so you sort of understand what was happening in each decade or era and, and through the lens of film, um, which is just fascinating to me. Uh, there is some really good vloggers out there who are LGBTQ, like YouTubers. Uh, I think I just dated myself by calling it vloggers. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> uh, so Rowan Ellis, great YouTuber who I love. Um, Matt Baum, who I met through Marriage Equality USA. Um, another great YouTuber. They both just, uh, so obviously I wanted to go to school for Star Wars movies mm -hmm. and I am a big film person and, and TV person. And so I really, I appreciate those things because of the sociological understanding of like what is happening contemporarily in politics and what is the like feminist, uh, racial justice, queer analysis of film and TV. And so Matt Baum, Lindsay Ellis and uh, Roanne Ellis, the two not related, um, are three like YouTubers who I really appreciate who deconstruct a lot of that and, and are very informative. Was there a sort of a turning point where you noticed better um, LGBT coverage and also just sort of better reception and acceptance of LGBTQ issues? Hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to have lived through um, the, the peak of the HIV and AIDS pandemic and, and watching men drop like flies and, um, in, in seeing the way that media was so terrible in covering those stories. And so that means I'm also old enough or young enough to, I mean, to remember in a meaningful way when Ellen DeGeneres came out of the closet and, and the way, like I saw the shift, right? The reason we could talk about Matthew Shepard in the way that we did, and for folks who don't know who Matthew Shepard was, cause I'm sure you know who Ellen DeGeneres is. He was a young man who was uh, beaten, lynched, and left for dead in Laramie, Wyoming. And so it was one of the first times we had a national conversation around hate and violence and murder of people just because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. Um, and obviously it helped that he was white. Like, let's be real about that. Like it helped that Ellen was white. It helped that Matthew Shepard was white. Um, but I think that Ellen coming out of the closet was so pivotal in us being able to have even that conversation around Matthew. So I think that was that that was the massive tipping point. There were people before Ellen who had been out. There's like, you know, obviously TV and movies like all, for the last century have included queer people in some way, but that was a massive tipping point. Um, then you look at things like Queer Eye, uh, the original. You look at things like um, RuPaul's Drag Race, um, or and then what folks I think don't always equate to this, but 
it's very meaningful here in San Diego is the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell in 2011. So 10 years ago, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed. And um, so San Diego has the highest concentration of military personnel uh, in the world. And, and so we also have the highest concentration of LGBTQ uh, military folks in the world. So when, when the repeal came, suddenly service members could be much more open. Now, LGB service members, right? Transgender service members, they've been up and down um, with their ability to serve openly. But what that did was suddenly it was so much, it's so much harder to say to an American who fought for your freedom and like went through two tours in Iraq that, you know, she's not allowed to hold hands with her wife or get married, right? Like that's suddenly a harder conversation for folks to have. And so that was, I think, a huge tipping point for the rest of the country because it, it showed that LGBTQ folks had served their country with dignity um, and honor. And that suddenly like really changed a narrative and a landscape. And it was you know, two years later that we won marriage equality at the Supreme Court level in the state of California in 2013. And uh, two years after that, that we won it federally in 2015, like completely across the board marriage equality. So I would say those are just some examples. That but is I, I do like three and four hour guest lecture on this stuff. So like, you know, I'll know <laughs> apologize. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. That's, um, we hit politics, we hit the military, we hit um, pop culture there. So yeah, that was great. Uh, but I did wonder, I mean, you are so well versed in so many areas. As you said, you have the lived experience. I don't know if anyone's ever asked you this, but I'm going to do it. Do you have interest in getting into politics? Or um, do you want to kind of stay in the, um, you know, like nonprofit or profit or advocacy area? Um, you know, I, I went to school for Star Wars. Okay. <laughs> I, I, uh, I love playing the piano. I love cooking. I never, like I said, I never thought I would be doing this. Yeah. Um, and the I, school of life is important though. It's very important. It is, you know, and I, I do this because I was asked and because it felt right. And I, what I found is I love service and I love feeling as though my day-to-day -day life makes an impact in real people's lives. So if at some point that road seems like a more clear path to take and there's folks who really think that I would serve well in that capacity, I think that's a wonderful question that I might tackle at some point in the future um, because where my heart is is in service to not just LGBTQ folks, but as you've heard, like that just very intersectional approach to life and policy. And, and so I am involved. I would say I am involved in politics because yeah. my life is political. Being queer mm -hmm. is political. Um, and, and there's this weird thought that nonprofits can't be political. We absolutely can be political. We are political, but what we are not is partisan. Um, and so uh, I'm in that work and, and I, I love being in that work. You are the first to ask me and you are the first. <laughs> really? All right. Everybody who writes the articles later when you're running can come back and listen to this. And heard it here first. Um, well, just a final question for you. You know, what what else would you like to see happen in your lifetime, you know, to eliminate bias and prejudice against um, members of the LGBT community or otherwise? So the, you know, the big push right now is for the passage of the Equality Act, which would be an amendment to the 1964 Civil Rights Act to include LGBTQ folks. So it's really important that we pass that as a minimum benchmark for a legislative platform that, that we are to be finally as, as LGBTQ people equal under the law. 
But we know that just because you're equal under the law, that doesn't translate necessarily to your lived experience. You know, here we are, like we live in San Diego, we're in California, it's so, it's like so uh, progressive and we feel protected here and our mayor is gay and like we have so many LGBT elected officials and that's great, right? Like that's wonderful. But at the end of the day, what it really requires is a reconstruction of our vision of the world. And that means that it's gonna take every single person in whatever facet they have and in every interpersonal relationship, whether it's through their friendships, their family, those institutions of faith, their workplaces, um, in, in yes, in legislative bodies and in, in their nonprofits, in their service agencies and industries, that we have to do things differently and we have to combat prejudice and bias every step of the way and be active allies in that. And so I think, yes, let, let's work and pass the Equality Act, but also what are the things that each of us are doing in our daily lives that we can do differently and better in, in service and compassion to folks who are coming from a marginalized experience? That's a great question to ask ourselves for pride. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Well, speaking of that, we'll let you get back to it. We know you have a lot going on. So thank you so much for making time for us and sharing a lot of um, who you are and uh, letting us get to know you a little better. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. You too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Name Drop San Diego. We appreciate your support and we hope that if you liked it, you will share it with a friend. We want to let you know that we are on social media at Name Drop SD. And I also hope that you'll check out some of our other podcasts on the UT Podcast Network, including San Diego News Fix, which is hosted by our very own Christy Totten. Thanks again for listening. Bye. <laughs>